0: Honestly, the ski industry could show as a beacon of how to do it right.
1: You have tuned in to PodSAM, the podcast channel of SAM Magazine, the voice of the mountain resort industry. Over the past eight months, the SAM Magazine team has gathered the industry virtually to talk about how we should operate amidst the COVID-19 pandemic. We've shared creative ideas and talked through various scenarios that could be in front of us. A shameless plug, you can listen to those conversations right here on PodSAM. For most, those conversations have been a planning exercise. Now that it is November and the North American season is about to start, it's time for a reality check. On this episode, we talk with operators who have already opened or, in the case of Taos, New Mexico, were planning to. But at the time of this conversation, we're forced to adjust those plans due to a statewide stay-at-home order. There's good news, too. With vaccines on the horizon and pent-up demand for the outdoors, it might turn out that reality is not so bad. We'll start the discussion here with SAM publisher, Olivia Rowan.
2: Thank you all for joining us today. I'm Olivia Rowan, the publisher of SAM Magazine, and joining me as co-host is Rick Call, editor at SAM. Today, we are talking with a group of operators who have already opened for the season or are trying to open amidst, uh, amidst tightening restrictions or Whose opening has been delayed due to recent restrictions. Uh, our esteemed panel includes Bill Jensen, a longtime ski resort leader; Jody Church, who's the VP and GM at Keystone Resort, Colorado; Joe Hagen, uh, president and CEO of Snow Operating; Joe Yassis, who's the GM at Wild Mountain, Minnesota; Maura McCarthy with Healthline; Kelly Pollock, president and CEO of NSAA; John Melcher, COO of Crystal Mountain, Michigan, and Dave Norden, CEO of Taos, New Mexico. So, um. The Sam team, we we debated quite a bit internally um, and discussing this huddle. Um, it's a tough subject, and you know how do you strike a balance between not being overly optimistic with pent up demand that we know is there, mm-hmm. and acknowledging that the pandemic is ramping up and the governments are increasing their restrictions. So there seems to be. Little taste among the public and businesses and politicians for a full shutdown, like last spring. At the same time, what options do governments have if we run out of hospital space and healthcare workers? It also seems unlikely the current president and the Senate will offer financial help to states or individuals before January 20th. And how long will it take the new administration? That's the sort of spot we're in. A little bit grim. Um, but we have some things working for us this time around and it is different. We've had months to prepare with staff and our communities. We have been cohesive as an industry, providing each other with best practices and parallel plans to both operate <coughs> and limit the exposure at resorts. We have built strong relationships with our health regulators. We have thought through all kinds of scenarios and have learned from our summer operations, how to operate during a pandemic. Our customers also know how to mask up and socially distance for the most part. And our outdoor mountain environments have space and an abundance of fresh air to provide safe winter activities that will be good for us mentally and physically. As Colorado's governor said himself recently, skiing and snowboarding are lower risk activities in terms of transmission. There is good news daily almost on the vaccine front. Um, And as I mentioned, you know, and we all know we have a lot of pent up demand, but there is fatigue with our staff and customers and our businesses have endured an extended drain on revenue. No one wants to dig in further, but we are a resilient bunch. And so we will carry on and figure this out. So um, with that, I'm gonna start with Kelly, um, Kelly Pollock, president of Mm NSA. Kelly, you wore the operator hat for many years at Mount Snow. And now in your role, you're helping resorts navigate this pandemic what advice or guidance um, for resorts as restrictions now are tightening and we're getting into a new phase here as we saw with New Mexico putting a pause to um, resorts there. So what, what guidance do you have at this juncture?
3: Wow, um, thanks, Olivia. Hi, everybody. Um, you know, a lot of the guidance that I would share, I've, I've learned from, from all of you, but um, as guidance and restrictions tighten, I think it's really important that we are in the know and that we practice transparency. You all have done such a great job of that so far. So, you know, are your Google Alerts set up? Uh, who on your team is, is keeping track of what's going on daily? Uh, who has that relationship with the regulatory decision makers? Um, are you having daily briefing? Even if it's three words, nothing has changed. <clears throat> That is so important right now is, is just that communication and know what's going on. I think also, um, you know, Ski Well, Be Well, the, it's based on outdoor recreation and how that is a low risk activity. That is so important. We have to keep beating that drum. Y'all have done it so well so far. And I think that, um, that have- your government are seeing that we've come together and that we have put plans together for low-risk outdoor recreation because nobody wants to shut down recreation. That's not gonna help Americans. Um, And then I would just always, um, you know, look for the low-hanging fruit. And I see that as staff and um, apres ski. So just keep working with your staff, whether it be your daily wellness checks or communication or um, testing whatever it is that you're doing, that's gonna be our weak link. Cause at the end of the day, we just wanna to talk to one another. And uh, we wanna help one another. That's what we do as staff members. So we have to make sure this just doesn't spread. Split your staff up so they're working in smaller pods. You, you know the game. Um, but also we have to do that on the guest side. Because when they get off that hill, they are gonna to want to have some sort of ski um, gathering. That's where the spread's going to happen. So we we shouldn't be afraid to just remind them that this is not the year. You gotta you gotta party with your bubble. That's all you know. And if, even if that's just one um, person, that's that's the way it's going to be this year. So uh, finally, I would just say you know have have your list ready. Your stepped list. What happens if regulations tighten? Okay, we can close this inside thing, or we can tweak that inside thing, but we wanna keep that outside open and uh, have your lists ready, because when it happens, you just you wanna react quickly, and you don't wanna to have to be building a plan um, mid-season.
4: Thank you very much, yeah, Kelly. Yeah,
3: you're welcome.
4: Before we get into what some of the resorts are doing, what things are on their lists to be prepared, let's take a look at the pandemic itself. Many of you know Maura McCarthy as a longtime reader, writer for SAM, Ski Magazine, the Boston Herald, and other publications. But Maura also writes for Healthline, the online wellness site. <clears throat> and she has interviewed top infectious disease experts, including Dr. Fauci, and just last week, President elect Biden's new health advisory team. So, Maura, you've seen and reported on the industry's response to COVID and resorts opening protocols. What would Fauci and the others say we are getting right? And what will be a challenge in the next eight weeks or so of this pandemic?
0: So first of all, I have been covering the pandemic since the beginning um, as a lead reporter for it, for Healthline. We get about a hundred million readers a week. So we take what we do really seriously. And I will tell you, first of all, that the things that the infectious disease experts have seen from the beginning are coming true. Like we can really believe the scientists in what they're seeing. Sure, there are things they learn as they go along, but overall in what the expectations were came. Now I will tell you that from what I've seen of other businesses and from conversations I've had with them all, honestly, the ski industry could show as A beacon of how to do it right. The way that you guys have joined together as one and kind of set standards across the board and all in together has not happened in every business. And frankly, if we could get America to do that, we probably wouldn't be in this second big wave right now. So the first thing I want to say is as hard as this has been, and as hard as it will be, feel really good about what you're doing, not just for our industry, but for America and for the world. Now, what could what could go wrong. Um, I think that the way that resorts have set standards for the protocols that are important, the masking, the social distancing, the staying outdoors more than indoors, down to the parking lot and keeping crowds apart there is really great. It is everything, it hits every single thing that you should do. What I would say Dr. Fauci would say your biggest challenge is going to be, and I think this is a very real challenge, and I'll give you an example in a second, is controlling your staff in off hours. Because the reality is you can't really control your staff in off hours. And the reality is having been a ski instructor long ago, you don't necessarily take a job loading lifts because you love to load lifts. You take a job for the winter because you love the experience. And I think that what resorts are going to experience may be a lot like colleges are experiencing in that kids kids want to do the right thing, but they may see the right thing in a different way. So I would say to you right now, if you can find ways to get your staff to buy into this notion of we're setting an example and we're saving the industry and the world, if there's any way you can, whether it's, I mean, I was saying to Olivia the other day, when when my husband and I were young and first married, my husband worked in a factory. And at the end of the year, they got prizes they could pick out of a catalog or bonuses based on the amount of people who were hurt, the less people hurt, the better. What if you could try to set kind of a group spirit thing about keep, You're going to have diagnoses. There's no way around it. The city of Newark, 25% of people getting tested are positive right now. It's it's everywhere. But what if you could keep it way down? So, an example I'm going to give you is my older daughter is a first grade teacher, and her school had remote teaching, except for one classroom of kids who have special needs, but all the teachers had to go to school every day. They had different times. They entered different doors. They were not allowed to see one another. They had to stay at their desk and they had a huge outbreak. They have almost every student who was in that school and three quarters of the teachers all have COVID. So that's how fast. So think about it. Think about it this way. Your ski resort is a California or a Colorado forest. As much as you can, you want the people who come in every day to not throw any cigarettes on the ground or to not light a spark and start that fire because that's how COVID is right now. Um, Dr. Fauci and the other experts had said for us to get through this winter before we wait for the vaccination, we needed to come in at about 10,000 diagnoses nationally a day. Well. As you know, we're, we're closing in on 200,000 diagnoses a day. So it, it's difficult. But that said, if you can keep your staff going, I really think that everyone would say that the work that you guys have done and what you set up makes perfect sense. It's just gonna be a matter of trying to minimize the exposure from other things you can't control.
4: More, I have one more for you. Sure. Um, talking with the experts you've been talking with in Biden's team, what are the chances we're going to have a lockdown like last spring? Oh, yes.
0: Thank you. for. So I will tell you that I am 100% sure that were it not for the mindset of the American public, we would be in a national shutdown right now. Um, They do not want to do one, not because it's not the right thing to do to stop the virus. Everyone agrees if we could shut down completely, wait six to eight weeks and start again with a different attitude, we may get through this faster, but they know that America is going to push back on it. So what they're really trying to do is what you guys are doing, get businesses to actually set rules and follow them and throw people out when they don't wanna, you know, you as Ben Wilcox said to me, it's gonna be a weird year. Usually if a customer complains, you form a task force and spend a month figuring out how to make them happier. Whereas he's gonna say, come to my office, I'll give you the cash, you, you can leave. Um, <laughs> but but it, so what they're trying to do now is to mitigate by getting more people to understand. And the problem, the problem's twofold. The first is, you know, we, we have a we have a small fraction of people who just don't think it applies to them and that's troublesome. And the second one is people are too confident the vaccination's coming, so we don't mind. Um, I would say that the good news is next year at this time, we will almost certainly be coming into a semi-new normal ski season. It's not going to be this horrible in a year. And five weeks ago, no one could say that. And and I really believe it. And everyone's saying it now. The bad news is what could happen in the meantime while we wait for vaccination. So it's all going to be about T- the team spirit of our industry, holding it together. Like, could we make a mountain bubble and we just do it right where we are so we can still get out skiing this winter? I, I think the only way we will have a national shutdown will be if so many people are dying on a daily basis that it, I mean, not that they aren't already, but it becomes even more of a disaster than it is.
4: Maura, I think it would be great if you would address sort of what we can expect for a timeline on the vaccines. If you could address the, the whole timing on the, the uh, vaccine story?
0: If this comes to fruition, and it still is a little bit of an if, which I'll explain quickly. If it comes to fruition, it will be the fastest that a vaccination has ever come to market. The fastest before that, from the beginning, to in the hands of people was five years, and that was mumps. So this is really something. And there are a lot of reasons which I can talk offline with people if they want to understand why it was faster. But here's how it's going to look. First of all, we all have to remember that it is not unheard of for something to fail at the end of a phase three trial. So while we're toward the end of phase three and it looks really good in two vaccinations right now, that's not a dumb deal. However, it looks really promising. Now let's say one vaccination is approved within the next weeks. It's probably in a best case scenario going to be next year at this time when it's available to everyone, it needs to be available. It will roll out. And there's also a possibility by the way that different types of people could need different vaccinations. So the Moderna news today is really good because we're gonna need kind of different things. So right away after the first of the year, perhaps you could probably see frontline workers and people who are highly, highly, in a bad place if they get COVID getting vaccinated. That will be the priority. One of the big challenges as we move toward that and past that is the fact that these vaccinations have to be kept so cold. And so there's a little bit of a challenge right now with the two administrations pushing back and forth with another it would be nice if they could kind of unite for the sake of this and figure that out more but everyone's doing their best so let's say a best case scenario and we can do that by late spring you will begin to see more adults who maybe have the diabetes community and thing like that that are larger and a little more at risk and then the next step will be the general public we have a lot of hurdles to get over to get there but I know that the um infectious disease people work on it before and the incoming people are totally motivated. So I would say that by late fall, it should be available to everyone. Now, for it to be effective for us to move to whatever our new world looks like, because it's not going to look the same as it did before, but it's going to be fine. Um, we need 70% of the population to get vaccinated. Uh, even a uh, uh, study, a uh, a poll just pulled nurses and 49% of nurses said they're not sure if they'll take the vaccination. The good news is Dr. Fauci and his team are gonna be launching PSAs and educational things to help people. But I would say even within our community with what the ski industry has done, maybe we can find a way to make it cool to vaccinate or something like that. So I really think if in a best case scenario with everything going well, and it really feels like that may happen, by next winter at this time, everyone who, should be vaccinated, will have the opportunity to be vaccinated. After it, the vaccination is not going to be a solution in itself. We may still be masking next year through the winter, but we won't have to be you know, worrying about shutdowns and things like that. Someone asked, can a business require a guest show proof of vaccination like wearing a mask? Um, I'm going to guess that that's against HIPAA and your civil liberties. You know, they're like everything else. And you realize that even when people are coming to our resorts, there's a little bit of trust in whether they have done the right thing outside of there. So hopefully we will live in a world where people care
2: enough to do it. Um, And let's start with Joe Yassis of of Wild Mountain in Minnesota. They were the first to open this year. Congratulations, October 18th. And Joe, how was the pent up demand on opening day and did um, people follow the new protocols like mass compliance and, and, and what group caused the most issues for you?
5: Yeah, it was, it was a great day for us to open. Um, we, we find that there is definitely that pent-up demand that everyone's talking about. Um, we had on day one, uh, we had a little over 200 people show up ready to hop on the hill. Uh, and keeping in mind uh, a Minnesota hill, a very small one with uh, two tow ropes and uh, maybe six or seven train park features on there and trying to jam these 200 kids onto there. Um, we, we had a difficult time controlling the, the kids that were here. And it, and it was truly kids. It was the age was probably um, 10, 12 years old uh, into the mid-20s. And the hardest part for the whole deal was um, keeping that mask on and trying to convince them that they need the mask, even though throughout the day, uh, while they were in school at the time, you know, they were required to wear a mask, but for whatever reason, getting them out outside, they're like, well, I'm outside, I can take it off. So it took quite a bit on our staff's part uh, to convince them outside while they're standing in the tow rope line to have a mask on. And then also as they were picking up their passes uh, and tickets inside our building um, to have that mask on. Um, we did install outside ticket windows. So that really did help quite a bit as we were speaking to people as they were walking in. No, you can't come in without a mask. You know, The question was, well, where do I go? Um, just directing them to, the, to that outside ticket window. But uh, it's so far uh, subsequent weeks going into this past weekend, it's been really good compliance has been okay. Um, uh, we still have that small faction that doesn't believe it's, uh, that anything is really going on and, uh, refuse to wear a mask. And it's just educating and having conversations with them.
2: In what demographic are um, you, you share. So it's, it's the, it's the younger kids. Cause you also shared you had problems with the parents. What was the parent thing?
5: So the parent issue that we had was, uh, mostly in that, um, we're not allowing any of our guests to leave equipment in the building, um, and the parents are just dropping kids off. So we're getting kids as young as 12. It's like, well, what do we do with our equipment? And oh, my mask is in the car. What do I do? So then we're getting calls later on from the parent, or you know, um, the the kids calling the parent, and they're calling us right away, and it's like, hey, you got to let my kid do this, and so so far as far as masks we've been able to accommodate as far as having uh, disposable masks uh, available um, but at some point you know right now nationally i think we're running out of masks again so we're we're trying to figure that part out as well.
2: let's turn to our chat room. there were a few questions in here um, about um with the parents calling um, and having an issue with you know it's simple things even of you know the, the complaint of the bags and how are you How are you handling some of the specific complaints? How are you, what are you telling them, um, you know, when they're, when they call upset?
5: So the conversation is just for us to have options for them. Um, We've got lockers available that they can uh, use throughout the day. Uh, We've got certain sections where we have enough cubby storage where they can drop their bag. So it's, we're giving them options. Um, As opposed to just saying flat out no you can't leave uh, bags on or under the table. Um, I think just like everyone else we're under that 50% uh, capacity uh, mandate and for us it's you know, uh, making sure that we have enough table space and chairs for uh, for everyone that comes in.
2: And you said you have pretty young staff, you know. 18, 17? And how are they handling enforcing the protocols?
5: So our staff actually goes down to age 14. We do have some of them uh, working in food service and uh, cleaning our buildings or helping clean our buildings. And the conversation is difficult for them. It's really a a training component for them and just giving them the tools to be able to walk up to a a 20-year-old person, guest, and just saying, hey, you know what? Um, you need to follow the rules and you need to have that mask on and you need to uh, be concerned about social distancing or physical distancing. Um, so that's a training piece. It, it is difficult, I'll say. A lot of our kids are really intimidated by, uh, by having to do those conversations, but I think we're getting through it. It's actually really well this past weekend.
2: And you've had time to open, operate and see how your protocols are Working, not working, have you made any pivots since you've been open, any changes to to your plan?
5: So this upcoming weekend is going to be, um, well, it was scheduled to be our actual official opening day and we're anticipating uh, larger crowds. Uh, This will be the first weekend our ski school does open up for private lessons. Um, We have a few race teams and small groups that are coming. Um, The big pivot that we're doing is we are going to be closing all of our entrances other than one. Um, So we'll be able to funnel everyone through one entrance and have conversations with them as they're coming in, both in terms of masks and physical distancing. Um, And then just letting them know that all the exits are open and they're free to go out those, but uh, containing them to one entrance. That's probably our biggest move.
2: And you're not sensing that the headlines are impacting So far, anything different from where you were October 18th to sort of the intensity of the headlines last week, that's not playing out in any way in what you're seeing? No, no, not at this time. Pent-up demand is pent-up demand.
5: It
4: is. Yeah, definitely.
2: (laughs) All right. Well, thanks, Joe, very much.
4: Let's move on to Jody Church, GM at Keystone Resort, which was the first resort to open in Colorado, um, or the second, actually. Jody... um, how much demand did you experience during your opening day and week?
6: Yeah, I would say what I'm really grateful for is that uh, Vail Resorts did um, roll out our opening with a reservation system, which really did allow us to um, understand and really pace um, the, the pace of our guests coming onto to the ski resort. So that was great having the reservation system in place um, and guests were able to um, go in in advance and really that system set us up for success in in my opinion. Um, And it it went well, Uh, we we opened successfully having been able to set those expectations for our guests in advance. um, We have a, a fairly significant comprehensive sign program that we have at the resort. Um, and so we really did guide our guests through that first um, re-entry back into the mountains. Um, so felt really prepared. And it was, it was great to see um, people get back out on snow and really put smiles back on people's faces. It was amazing. The gratitude that um, our guests had when they entered the resort and felt um, a lot of the response has been that they felt like they were in a safe environment.
4: Wow, well, that's, that's good to know. Um, how did your staff respond? To this first wave of business,
6: yeah, I would say you know, um, tagging on to what Kelly spoke about, you know, we're a, a community, um, and and we've been focused on community experience for so many years, so having staff, you know, high fives and hugs and those things just um, we can't have happening right now, so. The adjustment has been to really, um, we have to people manage it at every moment and really kind of set the bar at the beginning. So we came out really strong with our expectations on distancing. Um, Mask wearing, you know, I think the compliance has been amazingly strong. Um, and staying on our staff to stay distanced has been, it's, it's full time. And, um, you know, as Moira and Kelly both spoke to, um, it's just a lot of repetition and changing behaviors and reminding everyone that this, this, we need to open for the season and stay open. And that's how we're going to achieve that goal.
4: Gotcha. Have you made any changes to your protocols based on your experience over these first couple of weeks?
6: You know, I would say the biggest adjustment that we've um, made has been uh, really in our, our products and sales ticket maze, um configurations. Really, just seeing the flow of our season pass holders come through, managing to that uh, to that influx um, day over day. So we've made some uh, slight tweaks there. Um, and I would say we've really just taken our time observing any type of pinch points. Um, we have had some wind um, over the weekend. We did have a storm come through. And so just adjusting. Uh, one of the things that we we did at Keystone, we opened um, both base areas this last weekend, which allowed us to main area portals. And so top to bottom skiing with multiple areas to upload from has been a big win. Um, and I would say, uh, just making those adjustments and making sure to contingency plan, as Kelly spoke to, has been um, a real advantage for us. We uh, we even um, were moving people on buses to just spread people appropriately to the different um, uploading access points.
2: One, one follow up question, and um, Jody, if it, I don't know your the nature of your governor's decisions, he seems very um, much in. Um, line with that he wants to keep skiing and riding open, doesn't see them as, um, as a high risk for transmission. But um, what if it does seem as though that indoor is, is, is the problem? So if there were further restrictions on your indoor, um, or you know, would there come a time that it, there might be total restriction to the indoor? How, how will you, are you ready for that? Do you have a plan in place for further indoor capacity restrictions?
6: We do at Keystone, we're in Summit County, Colorado. So we, out of the gate, we're planning for 50% capacity and that um, reduced uh, right just before we opened for the season. So we went down to 25% um, seating capacity and we had a plan around what that seating capacity would look like. So um, I feel like as though we were very prepared Um, in planning and uh, have distanced our tables. We are doing all of our um, restaurant seating by reservation. So our guests can just scan a QR code and book their day of um, dining experience um, each day. We also have grab and go available and we have um, built in some functionality for our our, uh, staff meals so that they can pre-order their lunch grab and go. Um, so that they can um, lunch um, and break in in areas not in our food and beverage um, dining rooms. So, so could, that's been a big help.
2: Could you could you operate if there was no indoor capacity and if they reduce that even further? Um,
6: I mean, we certainly could. Um, yeah. We have uh, portable restrooms that we've put in as well. So we have mitigated many of. Um, you know, the contingency planning, uh, to just make sure that we can give the basic needs to our guests when they need it.
2: Next, let's move to Joe Hessian, who's the president and CEO of Snow Operating, which includes Big Snow Indoor Ski Facility and Mountain Creek, both in New Jersey. Um, Joe, um, you certainly know how to um, weather a, a lockdown. You had a rather long one for Big Snow, just having recently opened in September how concerned are you about tightening restrictions and, and, um, you know, this time around and, and what are you doing to prepare? You've got both the, the hat of the indoor, which is probably going to be looked at differently than, than your outdoor mountain Creek business.
7: Um, yeah. So, you know, I, I think, you know, we, big snow was, was closed for five months. Um, and we have 220 year round people that were, so that, was, uh, was a pretty bizarre experience, especially when we opened four months earlier. Um, so I I think it, I think it's a real strong policy. big snow and I don't want to freak anyone out from big snow to be on this call, but I think I wouldn't be shocked if we take a pause there with the direction our state's going currently, um, because it is indoor, right? So indoors is such a different piece. So we're totally prepared for that to be a reality, you know, like all things, um, you know, we're just living in a completely different world than we used to be, right? So, you know, we just keep going on the spirit of transparency, making sure that we're clear to our partners, suppliers, in that case, our land, uh, uh, and trying to figure that piece out. And as far as Mountain Creek, um, we're hoping that we're we're on a New Jersey, you know, we're right. So it's great when I hear the governor of Colorado talking about skiing and, and how important it is in California, you know, New Jersey has, the, if you include big snow, we have three resorts. So um, we're not even a blip on the governor's radar when it comes to that side of the business. So um, we will be part of outdoor recreation. Um, so I'm, I'm sure we'll have a season. And I think at this point, there's a lot of question marks that we have that I know everyone wants to know the answers, but you have to remain flexible. And, and our big question marks are, and I don't know if anyone else has experienced this, but um, stairs have changed, right? So I don't know if any other resorts around the country have, have noticed this, but we got a request for a utility deposit from PSENG and our local supplier uh, member um, right, right away. So now they want deposits on snowmaking because the boards of the snowmaking uh, of the power company is looking at snowmaking and saying, you know, you have a $400,000 energy bill in the month of December. What happens if you make snow? and you open up a bunch of trails and you're forced to close in January, can you still make your power bill? Um, Ingersoll Rand, if you guys are familiar with, who does all the compressor work, they just got bought out by a private equity company. They now no longer offer terms other than, because I guess so many companies are not paying. So we're finding ourselves in a world where you know we have uh, really good credit and really good relationships and it's it's becoming a real leap of faith moment to keep the businesses uh functioning in a good way so luckily we had those good relationships before the, the president of the power company and i go back 20 years so that was the, one of the most bizarre business conversations i've ever had in my life because he said we need to deposit our board demands it i said turn off my power he said, well, we're obviously never going to do that. I said, okay, so let's, uh, let's figure it out and see how it goes and hope this virus doesn't get too far out of control. Um, But, you know, each day we, we, um, you know, we're living it day by day.
2: For for Mountain Creek, um, you know, we see in the Northeast the, you know, the closing of, um, you know, cross-border travel, um, Vermont wanting that whole quarantine situation. Do you think that, you know, how would it, do you think New York City, New York would close down as a market to you? And and w- how would that impact your business if there was that same kind of can't cross over borders or they make it extremely difficult to do that?
7: Well, if I'm being honest, I think everyone moved out of New York City, moved to New Jersey. So <laughs> I'm not sure New York City has many people left, unfortunately. But um, I think, you know, even when it was bad, you know, the borders between the states here, we were kind of in a mess together. So I'm sure that that's a possibility. If it gets that bad, our businesses, especially in big snow, aren't gonna be open. The the one thing that I have a huge benefit compared to my friends up in Vermont and up north is, you know, a lot of people don't come from from Boston to ski at Mountain Creek. So we don't, a lot of people don't come south to us. So Mountain Creek doesn't have much out-of-state travel other than New York City. So New York City, Long Island, and New Jersey, that's our base there. Big snow, on the other hand, we have people flying in from everywhere. So um, that, that one that we constantly update our whole team on the quarantine list, and it's part of the survey. So in order to ent- enter big snow, you have to obviously answer the questions a lot of people are asking all of their guests. Uh, every person has a temperature check, they get a questionnaire. And if someone's traveled out of state within the last 14 days, we don't allow them access. We used to ask out of country, but now we, now we literally ask out
4: of state. To talk a little bit more about um capital capitalization and what types of things you're looking at or doing or what you're planning on doing if you really get shut down for an extended period of time
7: yeah so i like that you always throw me the the, the softballs so saying thank you for that exactly um, i mean who else so, can i do it to <laughs> it's like the shit the, the whole world's ending i was on the first one it's like oh why don't you join on this one it seems like it's pretty negative so let's do it so um capitalization, you know, it, it goes back to, to me, the, the core principle that, you know, luckily we've been really big in our, co- our our company about for a long time is transparency. So, you know, right now the reality is, is we, you know, and, and most people that operate resorts know this, we, we spend capital a few years out, right? So, you know, I owe money to SMI for guns that I bought last year. I bought, I owe some money to this person. I owe money to that person. I, I bought a snowcat. So unlike normal business, it's not like you can just say, oh, we're having a bad year COVID hit, let's just turn off capital. And as my CFO reminds me constantly, the problem is we already spent the capital. So um, in that case, we've been really lucky where we've been able to, in our cash flows, been able to to make it even on everybody for this year. But projecting out to next year, I think the real effort for us is going to be we're not placing any new orders on any big capital. And, and we've kind of changed our whole methodology of how we work. We operate Mountain Creek, you know, we're, we're not a huge resort, just under 300,000 skier visits. Um, we have a water park that does about 200,000 visits. And we have decided we're now operating Mountain Creek like it's a family farm, pumpkin farm. So we, we have a really tight team. We look at like, okay, what are we going to do for capital this year? We're going paint, to paint some fences. We're going to fix some fences. So to be honest, this might sound... It, it' bizarre, but I feel like we've had the best year of how we look fit and finish than we may have ever had because we've become so scrappy because instead of spending, you know, all this money on big stuff, which we just simply can't afford it, And we've been transparent with our suppliers, right? Like this isn't going to happen. And, and we're just not able to, 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 to do all this big capital stuff. So that's worked. And then obviously transparency with our bank, we've, uh, we've gone through some very good details with our with our bank to go through it and luckily at this point um both of our businesses have cash flow positive but there was a moment last may that we were saying we were going to go negative in september if we didn't open the water park and we let our bank and everyone else know that right away Um, the only furloughs we've had to do it's no operating since is just the executive team i was on furlough from february to september Um, I'm back. I, I just, I just got back on payroll like two weeks ago. So I think I screwed it up for all of us. So I'll probably have to go back on furlough soon, but, um, you know, I think, uh, you know, transparency is key and, you know, instead of the big things, it's the simple things, but it ends up that sometimes the biggest impact on the guest and team experience is, is the stuff that doesn't cost a lot of money. So we're, we're finding the positive in that and running
4: with it. Our next speaker, Taos president, Dave Norton was a last minute addition to our panel. I'm sure he would rather not be here sharing the news he received Friday of shelter in place restrictions in response to the unsustainable rates of new infections of COVID-19 in New Mexico. This shelter in place order closes in-person services for all non-essential activities, which in New Mexico's definition includes skiing and snowboarding. So Dave, um, what are your next steps at this point?
8: Uh, it was a tough notice on Friday this day is basically shut down for 14 days to everything but essential business um, as a constant promoter of tasks we just got voted number four by ski magazine and we were so excited to get this show on the road and we're on hold. Uh, we spent all weekend long putting together uh, a new plan a whole new operating plan and as of last night we have operation. Dean and Meek VR27, and uh, for all you that ski back in the 80s, that is a very streamlined ski, um, and we're in a dynamic situation, and it feels like we're on version 27 of our operating plan, so we're, we're back um, to a whole new plan. We don't know when we're going to open, and we're basically communicating that we will open within, call it a week or so, of when this order gets lifted. Our plan basically is to streamline as much as we can so that we can stay uh, nimble and just change with whatever. The bigger the organization, the bigger the operation, the harder it is to be flexible. So we're really looking to streamline and tighten up as much as we possibly can because we think this is going to be stop, start, change, stop, start, and change again all winter long. So. Everything we can do to be uh, very, very tight is really the plan. Uh, We have a 14 day quarantine in the state. So staffing has been tough. We've got people that have come in that they're in that 14 day period right now. Some people haven't come in yet. So we're actually doing a new internal job fair to say where the jobs haven't been filled, let's use who's here and let's not invite anybody else in at this point in time. Uh, So, We're closing down all of our sales until we're ready to uh, get ready to sell again. So, a lot of our e commerce is closed down. We now have a full, uh, and you may want to start to think about this, unfortunately, but we've got a, a full time refunds team because we're already refunding hotels and rentals and ski school and tickets and season passes. So it's unfortunate. I mean, it's not that bad yet, but we've got a full-time refunds team that is going to be in place the entire season. So as you stop and start, I think that's going to be a big, a big issue. So uh, we're making snow. And as far as an essential business, maintaining your asset, maintaining the infrastructure is okay. Construction isn't allowed activity. And we believe that constructing a ski slope is part of that allowance. So we are making snow and we're, we're preparing to to open, uh, fingers crossed.
4: You, you said that you, had, you were simplifying your operation and you've described some of the things you're doing, but you had already simplified your operation going into this year. Could you talk a little bit about some of the things you had already done to sort of keep your operation as narrow and rigid as those old Dynamic, uh VR 27s were? <laughs>
8: Yeah, so uh, this, we have a self-imposed capacity limit of 50% of visitation. And ideally, we were looking to really lower those weekend and and holiday periods and spread it out midweek. I think a lot of people are thinking of doing the same thing. We priced our passes, we priced our tickets to do that. We worked with the state and the state created a program called New Mexico Safe Certified. So different businesses can get New Mexico Safe Certified. We actually have seven or eight businesses that are New Mexico Safe certified right now. Restaurants, lodging, warehouses, uh, retail, and now a ski area. And each one of those businesses operates under a different health order. And that's why I'm saying we have gotta be very, very nimble. The health order on ski areas is 25% of uphill lift capacity. So when you think about a streamlined operation, yeah, we're looking at uh, really reducing that weekend visitation, we we had planned that our overall visitation would be down 25 to 30 percent to deal with these health orders. So that was the first move. Now then now this next move is really uh, taking our lodging down to 25 percent or less, and really focusing on on uh, condominium units where there's kitchens, so we don't so we can reduce uh, dining. Yeah. No indoor dining at all. I heard that question come up earlier. We're lucky we're in New Mexico. The sun is high and it's bright and blue sky. So everything is outdoors. Uh, every single uh, food operation will be grab and go. We, what do we call it? We call it takeout for here. Take it out, eat it here under the great sun. So yeah, every aspect of the operation is, is, is as lean as we possibly can. Full-time year-round staff and the, those seasonal key managers, we're putting them to work wherever we can but really trying to get rid of that excess because stopping and starting the excess, I mean, imagine that hundreds of people coming to us, what am I gonna do for the next two or three weeks? So really trying to uh, reduce where we can.
4: Dave, given the fact that you're in this situation where you're, you're dealing with this starting and stopping and everything else, I have to imagine that communication with your, um, your staff is gonna be really important. What are you doing to make sure you're staying in touch with them as much as possible?
8: Uh, Yeah, well, we're meeting daily. We've got a communication going out late today to the staff. uh, And on the communications front, I think that's a great question. You almost need to, you know, all the icon pass called up. What's up? Mountain Collective called. What's up? The New York Times called. What's up? I mean, the phones are ringing uh, off the hooks right now. So I think when you develop your communications plan, really think about all of those channels that you need to reach, your pass holders, your locker holders. Uh, the, the, who's going to buy real estate? What's up with the real estate development that's happening on our property? Taos Air, which is a whole other business of ours. So I, I, I would highly recommend you put together a long list of all those different parties you need to contact when something changes, figure out who's on that channel. And then you meet daily to work, to, to work on your, your, your updated statement, which needs to happen you know, on a regular basis.
4: Are, are you concerned much about uh, maintaining your staff and not losing them as the resort closes?
8: Uh, Very concerned about that. Uh, We've already had people call said, you know, New Mexico, this 14 day quarantine thing, I'm not very interested. I mean, if people start to think that this may get extended, which it may, and now you're looking at, do I, am I working three weeks or four weeks or even five weeks out? I do believe we're gonna start to lose more staff. Our H2B uh, uh, staff, we're actually uh, moving on already. So we don't have to deal with that. But uh, again, the reason for that, really focusing on that core team of people and rather than having eight or 900, we're looking at two or 300, just so that we can be as nimble with that group and not have to deal with the start again, on and off of the staffing of the seasonal uh, frontline people. So I do believe we're gonna start to lose staff over the
4: next two to three weeks. (laughs) On that happy note.
2: So now we're gonna turn to John Melcher, who is the COO of Crystal Mountain, Michigan. Crystal is a four season resort um, that also has a uh, had a robust summer operations from which to learn a great deal about operating during a pandemic. Uh, weather has been warm and they're not open just yet. Um, but John, you and I discussed and you, you have some concerns heading into the season um, with secondary exposure and pandemic uh, fatigue. Can you um, share a little bit about that?
9: You know, I, I think, you know, we, we started off um, back in the spring, I, I think with the advantage of, of having the summer operations and actually making sure our protocols were uh, were appropriate and uh, in place. So we've got a lot of good, uh, I guess, experience coming into the winter season. But it's funny, uh, our banker asked me, you know, what are you concerned about? And this was probably back in uh, in June. And I said, I'm really more concerned about winter than I am in, uh, in summer, because obviously we can we can get outside and, and social distance. Um, but, you know, coming into the winter operations, I mean, certainly we'll take the experiences that we've had um, with, with summer ops. I will say, I was surprised at how well people were adopting, as far as our guests, uh, the masking and the social distancing protocols that we've had in place. Um, you know, another important component that I think really added to our success is we, we, we enhanced our relationship with our health department. Um, obviously, we were talking to them at the end of March about you know, how we were operating, making sure that they were comfortable with what we were doing. Um, and we also, at the time, I, I, I thought it was very unfortunate, but when I look back on it, it was fortunate um, in that we had a, uh, a COVID case with a guest that we had to deal with, and it really allowed us to um, you know, get our protocols and our communication with the health department uh, synced up so that it put us in a great position uh, throughout the uh, the rest of the summer. Um, so that my biggest advice, anybody is just make sure you have a great relationship with your health department. Uh, certainly ours has been very helpful in trying to keep us safe, also trying to keep us in business and, and also helping to interpret, um, you know, the multiple executive orders that we've gotten, you know, throughout the the last few months. I think in Michigan, we're, we're probably over 190 executive orders. Now we're getting, uh, orders from, uh, MIOSHA and, uh, our, our health department, but we're trying to, you know, take the things that we learned in the summer and, um, you know, get those into our, our winter uh, operation planning. And just like a, a lot of folks have been saying, you know, we're trying to separate indoor operations from outdoor operations uh, so that if we do have further restrictions, and we got some last night, um, that we can hopefully insulate outdoor operations. And, you know, the news, um, you know, that we heard last night with our governor telling us uh, of some new restrictions is that the state still believes, you know, outdoor recreation. Uh, is important, um, which it's great to, to hear that. Um, so the state did last night uh, pull the throttles back and, and you know, restrict uh, indoor dining um, for the next three weeks. But again, you know, we're already planning on getting folks outside, uh, you know, similar to some of the other comments that we've had, um, you know, grab and go in the, uh, in the cafeteria and get people, uh, you know, consuming their, their, their lunch either, uh, you know, at the car or uh, at an outdoor location here.
2: Um, I want to um, ask another question on the on your relationship with the health department. And um, you said that that has really been cemented through the summer. and, um, but something you're seeing, which I think is interesting and could be the the case uh, for other operators with their um, health department, is that um they are overwhelmed. And you said they're in a state of of triage at this point. So, And how does that impact you, Um, you you know, where, where the regulation, you know, are you seeing other people coming in and telling you what to do if they're, if they're tied up? Are you having to take care of things on your own? Like, where do you, if if you're not getting guidance and, but you know what to do, how are you, how's that impacting your business?
9: Yeah, no, we still have a great line of communication with them. They, they certainly are overwhelmed with all the contact tracing of the, of the various cases. We try to do as much of that for them ahead of time. So they know when we're calling, it will usually be a, a quick conversation because we've hopefully identified all the people of, uh, at risk that uh, need to be identified. Um, and fortunately, they've got a, a, a good sized staff that will help us, um, you know, with questions that we might have on, on, on you, know, how, you know, how we're operating one specific activity, or again, how to interpret the, uh, the new rules that have come out from the state. So it, it's still open, but they certainly are, um, and I'm sure this is the case around the country, are overwhelmed right now with the, uh, with the trajectory of the, of the virus.
6: Yeah,
2: and, and you said you had the positive news that pass sales are up over last year, um, mm. and that your lodging um, is up over this time last year. Yeah. So up yeah. demand is there.
9: Demand is certainly there. And obviously the challenge is, you know, how, how are we going to deal with the demand? And we talk about that probably on a daily basis. Um, and certainly right now, um, you know, we talk about, you know, how are we going to deal with uh, opening day uh, so we don't get overwhelmed and, uh, you know, uh, developing the plans of you know, how many runs do we have to have open? How many lifts do we have to have open so we can get everybody dispersed across the mountain as quickly as possible so we don't have you know, large groups of people uh, congregating, but that will be a challenge, um, no doubt, um, trying to make sure that people are wearing their masks and uh, not not congregating in large groups.
2: Um to the concern on secondary exposure and um, have you come up with ways as Moyer had suggested of um getting the community behind, you, you know, your staff behind the, the, the bigger effort here to, to survive and thrive as a business and, and in, as an industry, how are you going to approach tackling that secondary exposure problem?
9: Yeah, so we so we, we try to preach it every day to our employees, you know, not only follow the safety protocols while they're here, but also when they're away from home. And one issue that not only we're seeing, but it's kind of a regional issue is that a lot of, a lot of businesses, including us, are um, having people in quarantine, not necessarily because they have uh, COVID, but because they've been exposed to a case. Um, And as we try to explain to everybody, you know, it it would be unfortunate to have somebody in a department that has actually got the disease, but if if everybody is not following the procedures that we have in place, it could potentially push that whole department into quarantine, which obviously would not make it uh, convenient to to operate. Um, So I, you know, I think, you know, with the, with the constant communication uh, with our employees, obviously they're seeing it, uh, in the news and, and, uh, in the community. Uh, I think people are are very serious about it, which, which we all need to be.
2: Okay. Great. When's your projected opening day?
9: Well, we're, we're probably looking, uh, at December 12th as our new target. You know, as, as you mentioned, the weather's not uh, real favorable out here and we're kind of in this, uh, new restriction period for the next three weeks, which really just, uh, limited indoor, uh, gatherings, uh, and eliminated, um, you know, sit down, uh,
2: service at restaurants. Okay, great. Thanks John for sharing. Um, so you're still optimistic.
9: I am. Yeah, I'm definitely optimistic. I, you know, I, the demands there, I think, um, you know, we've got these protocols in place and if, uh, if we can get everybody to abide by them, I think we certainly can uh, operate, uh, safely this winter. Okay, great.
4: And I'd like to warn John that um, his boss Jim McGinnis has suggested that he would be a good person to talk further about capitalization since he's a former banker.
9: Yeah, I spent 25 years in the financial services industry before I uh, grew up and found my, uh, my, my full-time career, so which, is, uh, which has been great. You know I would say you know similar to what Joe was saying uh, earlier is that you know now's a, now's a time to certainly have a close relationship with your banker in addition to the, the health department. Certainly was the case uh, during the recession uh, around 2008, but also important now. And liquidity is certainly what I think the uh, the financial institutions are monitoring and something that we should uh, all be monitoring as well. We certainly do here. And, you know, I think it's important to kind of model out, you know uh, you know, best case, worst case scenarios. And if you think you need some additional liquidity as far as working capital lines, you know, now would be the time to talk to your banker, not, not when you actually, uh, if you get to the point where you need it, uh, the conversation will certainly go better now. And I would say, keep an open line of communication, um, give them frequent updates, uh, the good and the bad, uh, cause the more they know, the more they can help you. And if there is an issue, uh, the more that they know earlier in the process, the more options that they will have, uh, at their disposal. And, you know, I, I think we all know the demand is there. Uh, we just have to get through this, uh, you know, the, uh, this, this virus and, and you know, the regulatory slowdowns, but I think we can demonstrate demands there. The good news is the, you know, a couple of vaccines are on the horizon. So this is not a industry or a company specific problem. It uh, it really is obviously this, this, this health uh, crisis, which all of their customers are dealing with. Uh, so I think we've got a good story to tell and I guess my my uh, my two cents would be uh, just make sure you have a strong relationship with your banker and uh, ask earlier than uh, than later.
2: Um, now we're going to turn to Bill Jensen. Um, I have him as I explained to him. You know, being able to listen to everybody and our challenges. Um, and um, get some advice, um, some insights. You know, he's been seen a crisis or two in his 47 years of working in the industry. Um, he defines resilience. So, um, not to put too much um, on your play here, Bill, but you've heard these operators. Um, wh- what can you, how can you help them with prioritizing their decisions as they're facing these uh, tightening restrictions? And um, what advice might you have for us? thank you for
10: hosting these huddles and I think they're they're so critical and everybody on the call um, I think the information everybody shares um, is is so important just you know it's an industry that's always shared openly and ideas and I think it's great and I think that uh, you know the reality is I try to spend a little more time at 50,000 feet and try not to be too repetitive but also to emphasize the things that are important and i think that the first goal for all of us um, regardless of what what you do every day is um, we've got to sustain our businesses and when i say sustain our businesses um, you know to joe's point that he just made you know we have to sustain them financially but i think more importantly um, we have to sustain them for um, our core employees who um, you know have committed to this industry and careers in the industry. And I think that's gotta be a priority. And for so many of our resorts um, ac- across the nation, um, we also um, are the 800 pound gorilla, so to speak, um, in our communities. And the communities are really depending upon uh, the resort itself or the ski area itself um, to uh, sustain them. Um, and uh, there's a lot of challenges um, you know I would say that two big checks for us are going to be um, both Thanksgiving and and the resulting impacts of that you know 10 to 15 days afterwards and then probably more specifically for the ski industry how well we do over Christmas and New Year's holiday um, obviously traditionally that's been the biggest, uh, the biggest um, single week or two weeks for, for our industry. Um, you know, I find it interesting. You know, I'm watching Europe and Austria um, issued an order in November that shut down the 11 ski resorts that were operating in November, uh, skiing on glaciers. They were doing race training, um, and they're shut down till November 30th. Um, I talked with a friend at Sölden. Who's uh, you know one of their top financial people, and their concern is that is going to continue into December, and uh, you know they're they're in a market that brings people from Germany, uh, other European uh, countries, and if the if the virus isn't checked going into Christmas, they have some real concerns. I thought the Wall Street Journal had a, a great article on. COVID this weekend, but the new word that I picked up on that was that we should anticipate interventions throughout the winter in our business. And, you know, interventions um, can come from the government, obviously, from federal, state, local. Um, They can come from our communities. Um, They can come from issues with our employees, which, um, you know, going back to the start of this, and I think Kelly... Um, You know, our employees really have to be our priority and um, that's where the risk really sits because as some speakers have alluded to, you know, quarantining or having an outbreak in an operating department um, can be detrimental to the business. Um, I do think that um, what we all have to anticipate is that revenues are going to be down this year. Um, And they're going to be down because our ancillary businesses are not going to be able to perform at the level that we have driven them to. Um, I think that um, because revenues are going to be down, you know, to sustain the business, uh, we have to continue to look hard at the expense side and Our biggest expense in the winter, obviously, is our employee workforce, and how do you manage that? And I think David was alluding to some of those things at Taos and what they're trying to work through. And then, um, you know, my my two pieces of advice or suggestion is that our season pass holders are really the core of our business. They're our best customers. They're our longtime customers. They're our most loyal customers. And I think as you think about sustaining your business and working through this winter, um, uh, always uh, my biases would be towards season pass holders and ensuring because I believe our business will recover quickly, more quickly post COVID if we have um, focused on the season pass holders and the people that drive the business. I think um, the biggest challenges and, you know, you pick up on it today, opening day for everybody is a challenge. Um, It's a peak day because generally we're skiing on, you know, pick the number anywhere from 10 to to 50 acres of terrain, but uh, the peak day management challenges. And I think that the reality is um, the industry as a whole is going to have to uh, really look hard at managing our peak days and, and the challenges, you know, the, reven- the, the excess revenue we earn on peak days um, is so critical um, to the business, but we've got to find a happy medium uh, between what we can actually handle and manage um, versus, um, you know, letting in that last 10, 20, or 30% of volume. And, you know, I've always, um, you know, I can go all the way back to Nick Badami who owned Park City and Alpine Meadow. And so when I was young, um, it was a great line he had um, because our industry is so focused on volume and skier visits is our, our, the metric we stand behind. Um, Nick always said, it, you know, we don't pay bills with skier visits, we pay it with money. And, um, and so I just think managing managing uh, the experience for the guests that we do have and um, and finding the right ratio between revenue generation and expense management will allow us to sustain ourselves. And I, I totally agree with Mara that a year from now, it will be a different situation. And I'm very optimistic that uh, in particular, the ski industry will start to see a very robust recovery um, in, in, for next winter, um, back to the fact that demand is there.
2: Well, we're getting to the finish of this huddle, and um, I did want to uh, mention one thing to what Bill had said about um, your your core customers, your season pass holders, your core community, and and we were just discussing before the huddle when. Live that we'd seen um, Lindsay DeLore, who's one of the owners of Bolton uh, Valley in Vermont, had posted a video. It's a very um, sincere, honest, no frills message from her about the um, about the need to to survive and thrive. And she discusses it in a way where it's a it's to her core community, it's her core audience, it's the people that, as Bill said, who are going to help her rebound quickly and see her through and it it just struck us as a really good message because in it she works in the need for her for the business to survive to be able to keep this whole you know um activity going and she does it in a way that um nearly all the comments the many comments you know what I saw was 90 percent 99 percent overwhelmingly supportive and positive and I, I think she nailed that. So we just thought we would share that um, video. You know, it's not a high gloss production thing. It's just honest and sincere and makes it feel like you want to be part of um, getting through this winter together.
1: This is part one of a two-part reality check. Join us next time as we deep dive communications and take a look at the consumer perception of winter activities as COVID surges. Speaking of communication, if you'd like to check out the video from Bolton Valley, Vermont, head to www.saminfo.com huddle. The November issue of Sam Magazine is out now. Subscribe or renew your subscription to Sam Magazine at www.saminfo.com slash subscribe. Check out the special opening 2020 section aimed at helping you smooth some of the operational bumps that we will encounter this season. The small cost of a subscription is a big value for you and your team. Our theme music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. The Podsam advisor is Alex Kaufman, the Wintry Mix Podcast Guy. I am Sarah Bordeev, and thank you for listening to Podsam. This is Sarah Bordeev, and you are listening to Podsam, the podcast channel of Sam Magazine. Ah, <coughs> uh,
10: COVID.